Alright, let's start today by looking at the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Let me start from verse 1. Yeah, I said I have a, message, a title for it, and um, my message today is titled, Wanted. What did I call it? Alright, you'll see what's, what's wanted in a moment. I just feel like giving it a title. I said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Verse 2. The seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Why am I ruined? He said, For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now let's read verse 8, which is why we are reading this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell these people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of these people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. I've read 10 verses here. Alright, so we have read from the book of Isaiah chapter 6, and from verse 1 and to verse um, 11. Uh, which verse did we stop in? Verse 10, yes. And there we see he had a vision of the Lord. And what I want to bring out from there is that he said that um, the Lord said to him in verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And then why was he confused initially? Because he realized that what he was seeing was not the experience that a man living amongst the unclean can survive. That was why he said, I am ruined. That is, I have a serious problem now that my eyes have seen the Lord. And then what the Lord did was to send one of the seraphim that was there, and that one took burning coal and touched his lips and said, your iniquity is taken away, and by this your sin is forgiven. And this, what happened was that God was preparing him for what he wanted him to do. Now this is where, we are, where I'm going. Then the Lord now said, who shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Now what I want to bring out is that God has created us for an assignment, we know that. Each person has been made for a particular purpose by God. Nobody was created for no reason. Let's just revise that briefly. We know that. 
everyone that was born was born for a particular purpose. There is something that God wants each person to do. Don't ever forget it. There is. God didn't give you a life just so you can... We say this thing again and again. I'm almost tired of saying it. God didn't give you a life so you can enjoy. God did not give you a life so that you too can live comfortably. That is not a purpose for life. That is... Those things are some of the oil that God puts in our engine to make the engines run smoother. Are you getting what I'm saying? That is not why we exist. Why The reason why we're made, the reason why we were sent to this earth is more important than that. Now, even though we are created for a reason, even though there is a purpose for what God, all right, there's a purpose that God is doing for which he sent us. Now, I want you to notice something here. Isaiah still had to volunteer. If you read the story of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. Before you were born, while you were still in your mother's womb, I consecrated you. I have ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Paul said, God who knew me from my mother's womb and who ordained me as an apostle to the nations, a time came, are you getting my point? When he now revealed Christ to me, you understand, and in me. Now, even though Paul did not know Christ Jesus, even though Paul did not know what was going on and he was busy persecuting the church, it did not change the fact that before he was born, God said, I am giving life to an apostle to the nations. I hope you're getting my point here. So, somebody may be called and is not working in the assignment of God. You can see a man, he's out there committing all kinds of crimes, committing all kinds of sins. It does not change the fact that God created him for a reason. I was watching, I think, one of these um, American prophets teaching the other day, and he talked about Elvis Presley. And he said that Elvis Presley was a messenger of God as an evangelist, that God sent him to this earth to be an evangelist, and he had his reason. And that what you find, or what we found in, that, in his life, when he could move the crowds, when he could, people would follow him, which he used for music, rock and roll, and all of that, it was not for that purpose. That anointing, that unction, the ability to, ability to move the crowd was for the purpose of evangelism. And people like him will command multitudes, if you say they at a stadium, Elvis Presley is coming to play. Everybody will gather there, and tens and thousands will come. In the same manner, if you say that um, Rehan Bonke is going, what will you find? Tens of thousands will also come. It's a similar unction. Now, what you now do with what God has given you is your problem. Do you get my point? Let me make a statement to us again. Look, I've said this many times. Never really heard anybody else say it, but I still believe it anyway, because I believe in Scripture. Satan can never give you what God never plans to give you. Let's talk about him for a moment. The devil does not have the kind of power that people think he has. Don't think he has an independent government that runs parallel to that of God, and God cannot, you know, like once you enter his kingdom, he just does anything he likes. It's not true. Satan does not create people. Satan does not anoint people. I hope you're getting my point. What he can do, if you look through the scriptures, that's the only power he has. What he can do is to manipulate that which God has created already. That's all he can do. He has to use, I mean, if you study, well, some of us study diseases. You see, Satan still does it till now. A lot of diseases that you find in the human body only exist because he's using the human system against itself. That's how it works. It doesn't create anything. What it does is to manipulate what exists already. If God puts a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden 
and God guards them, protects them, gives them power, gives them authority. Satan says, how do I get them to do what I want done? I will go to them. He cannot just force anything to happen. You know, don't think he has that kind of power. No, we need to say it again and again. He cannot just say, tomorrow I want to kill somebody. The power of death is not resident inherently in him. It's only after God has authorized somebody's death that Satan can kill. That's the way it works. That is just the way it works. He He doesn't have power in himself. That is why you don't wake up every day praying about the devil. As if you won't kill me. He can't. Why are you bothering yourself? He cannot. What is the power he has? He knows how to tempt people. So if you don't want to die as a result of the activity of the devil, you resist his temptation. That is what he can do. Many people who are rebuking the devil, who don't want to die, they are not resisting his temptations. What Satan does is try to persuade people to disobey what God has said to them. So he came to Eve. Has God said, you will not, you will not eat it, you should not eat from here? He said, yes, God said so. In, in fact, she had, her, she had her own. We must not touch it. Why? The day we eat it, that day we will die. And then Satan said, you will not surely die. That is lying. That is what he does. He lies. So when he lies, listen to me, what he now takes before the judgment throne of God is the result of your action. And that is how he obtains judgment against you. Please, I just want to talk about Satan briefly there. That's why I did that. Now, in the same manner, it cannot make anybody rich or poor except God approves that. So what he also does, listen to this, he learns to manipulate what's going on on the earth. Like I've explained before, he doesn't create money. He doesn't create money. You may find, you say, what about people who are not, uh, who are not serving God, who are rich? Don't you read your Bible. It's like that in the Bible too. Sodom and Gomorrah was well watered, productive, until God burnt it up. The land that was flowing with milk and honey was inhabited by people that God wanted to destroy. And God said to his people, the land I'm taking you to is a land that is flowing with milk and with honey. And they went in there and they saw that the land actually was flowing with milk and honey, except that there were giants in the land. The people were wicked. They did evil against God, yet they prospered. So don't think that once you are doing evil against God, there will always be trouble. Many times, that is, especially unbelievers, it doesn't always work like that. It does not mean Satan is not the one that makes people rich. I hope you are getting what I'm going to say here. Now, this is what I'm going to make. He knows how to manipulate, and God allows that. Let me just emphasize that to you. God allows him to do those things. You remember, you know, we look at Balaam as if he was a prophet, the way you know Isaiah. As if he was a prophet, the way you know Jeremiah. As if he was a prophet, the way you know people like um, um, Obadiah and co. He was not. Balaam, if he was in Africa here, it would have been one Ogbunge Babalao that they found in Ibadan or something. Are you getting my point? They say, okay, there's one Ijebu Babalao there. That the man will help us to win the war. And they will go. And the man... His man, the man's medicine used to work. If you understand the principle, the man understood the principle of sacrifices. I don't want to teach on that now. He knew how to manipulate. That's the point I'm trying to make. And God used to talk to him. Many of us think that the way God is, I said, you come worshiping and bowing down. We worship and bow down. He won't talk to you. It's not like that. Satan came. Wasn't worshiping. 
He wasn't bowing down. God called, hey boy, come. Are you getting my point? From where have you come? From walking to and fro. I have a job for you. They had a discussion. Nothing personal. Just doing business. That's how God is with Satan. So the fact that, look, God spoke to Balaam. It doesn't mean he liked Balaam. He's, he, Balaam knew how to manipulate things. He knew how to offer sacrifices. One day I was checking it. I found out that the, the same sacrifices that Balaam offered were the same sacrifices God told Job to offer for his friends. Go and check it. These are spiritual things that work with the, according to certain principles. Balaam knew how to manipulate those things. I hope you're getting my point. And then when he did, God spoke. Now what about them to emphasize here? So sometimes people are outside the covenant, but they still seem to be able to contact the power of God. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't be too surprised. Satan cannot give to people what God says no, they will not have. The difference is a method. The difference is what the Bible calls gates, the ways, the paths. You can use three of them referring to about the same thing, different emphasis anyway. But you have gates, you have paths, you have ways. So you say, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Now, bear that in mind, all right? Now, David would now say, open to me the gates of God. Now, I'm going to recall something here. Anything you want to enter, God put it in the center. He said, enter, choose your gate. If you use the gates of God, you will find something good inside what you are entering. So, the prosperity is there, is the prosperity of God. The blessing is there, is his blessing. Let's use money. The wealth is there, is his wealth. People want to contact it. Do you understand? It's his wealth. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. That's scripture. That is scripture. People say that Satan now controls it. You must understand. Anyway, let me not get into that. Let's not magnify this guy more than he should be magnified. He needs permission for the things that he does. It's only what God has granted him that he can do. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, what am I saying here? So you find out that People want to enter into abundance. The abundance is there. Different gates. David said in Psalm 118, Open to me the gates of God. That is, I choose to enter through the gate of God. That is when the wealth will bless you. That is when the abundance will bless you. For example, God spoke to David. You are going to be king. Samuel anointed him. He could enter that throne different ways. One of the ways he could enter the throne was to arranged the assassination of Saul. And men after him did that. A prophet will say, you'll be the king, you go and kill the other one. I hope you're getting my point. That is the gate of unrighteousness. But what did David understand? I am going to be king. If my throne will endure, I have to enter it through the gate of God. And the gate of God required him to be patient. So from the time he was anointed, till he mounted the throne, 13 good years passed. 13 years of hardship. 13 years of running up and down. 13 years of trial and temptations. 13 years of almost being killed. 13 years of returning back to man his father's sheep. That's the gate of God. And the word Jesus said about it is narrow. And few are those who choose that. I hope you get what I'm saying here. What, what most people choose <laughs> is we are going to be king. Why is Saul still on the throne? As long as Saul is not on the throne, Saul is on the throne, you can never be king. Can I be two kings in Israel? No. 
So what will happen? Saul has to die. Plus, I'm an expert assassinator of Saul. <laughs> Pardon me when I create my English is to make my message clearer. <laughs> so, the man gets up and David will pay and arrange his strong men and they will infiltrate the camp of Saul or his palace and kill him and then escape. And then when Saul will have died, you understand, it will become easier for David to take the throne. And it will have worked. Twice, God showed it to him. Try. Remember that. Twice, God allowed him. He didn't even have to try, go so far. He just close by. God delivers Saul to him. I don't know how David knew it, but I believe he has been instructed. One of the things I believe that Samuel probably used to send him messages and teach him some things. He, he had instructed him, you don't do that. So let, Samuel had let him know that, oh boy, don't try it. And so David prophesied to his men and said, you shall not touch the Lord's anointed. He said one day when God is tired of him, he will go into battle and he will die. Exactly what happened to Saul. So David chose the gate of God. Let's just open that so you know where I'm referring to Psalm 118. Let's just read that Psalm 118. I think it's just a nice one to read. From verse 19. Okay, let's start from verse 15. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He said, I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. That's why I wanted to read back up and read this portion. He said, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Verse 19 Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. He said, this is the gate of the Lord. That is the gate of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Now, why did I back up to the, to the preceding section, verses 15 to 18, to show that David was in distress. David was in trouble. David was not, things were not working for him. Business was not doing well. Prosperity was not flowing. And he ascribed it not to the devil, but to the discipline of the Lord. So he said, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but I know I will not die. He said, he has not given me over to death. So how do I come out of my difficult situation? How do I come out of the straight place, like the Bible will say, narrow place that I'm in? He said, there are two ways. You can use the broad way that leads to destruction. It will get you out of it. But you can use the narrow gate, the narrow way, the gate of righteousness. How you know this gate, when it says the gate of righteousness, what he was saying is that the gate is characterized by righteous deeds. Anybody passing through it, passes through that gate using the precepts of the kingdom, not breaking any rule of God. In David's case, as an example, he must not touch the Lord's anointed. No matter how easy it will be to touch the Lord's anointed, but he must not do it. Now, that was how David entered into his throne. That was how he entered, and that was why nobody, one of the major reasons why nobody could shift him from it also. They tried, but they couldn't. Why? He entered to the gates of righteousness. I, I hope you're getting my point here. Now, there's, you know, I, you know, I went to all of this trying to explain something here. 
Satan cannot give what God has not first given. But when God has given, men can enter through different gates. Do you get what I'm going to say here? So, somebody wants to enter into wealth. One of the major things that characterize the gate of God is patience. You want to enter into wealth? One of the things that you will find out is that you will make somebody as rich first. If you have not been faithful in that which belongs to somebody else, who will give you your own? I'll be getting my point. The Lord will discipline you severely. There are times you will be broke. Do you follow me? what I'm going to say here? But in the midst of being broke, you must not steal somebody else's own. You are doing business. In the midst of being broke, you don't collect somebody else's customer. You know, the, when the Bible says, that shall not covet your neighbors. Look, that thing is, is real. You no, know, to covet does not mean to desire. You know that. If you did not know it before, now you know it. Even if you don't understand it. <laughs> to covet is not just to desire. If you have a car and I like it, and I really like it, and I look at it and say, man, this car is fine. I would like to have a car like this. There's nothing wrong with it. To covet is to scheme. To collect what belongs to somebody else already. And to scheme to do it in such a manner that it can be legitimately transferred to me. That is why it is different from stealing. Stealing is illegal. I have to break many laws of the society. But when I covet, I will use those same laws to give to myself what belongs to somebody else. He's in distress. He needs half a million naira. I could lend it to him. But why should I lend it to him when I can ask him to use that car that I've been liking all this while as collateral? And I start praying that he will not be able to pay. And I'll make it clear to him, if he doesn't pay me within the next six months, that car is mine. Even if it's only 10,000 naira that's remaining, if he pays 490,000 naira, the car is mine. I'll just give him the 490 that he has paid. And of course, he will not pay. Most times they don't pay. Especially when you are praying that you will not pay. The police can arrest you, but God will judge you. That's the meaning of covet. <laughs> you get my point? So I don't covet somebody else's goods even in my distress. I may be in that distress for a long time. Several times opportunities will come. Are you getting my point? Maybe I'm in the market, I'm selling something. And my neighbor is selling too. And I've seen this man all the time coming to buy from my neighbor. They are good friends. They've known each other for years. Then one day he arrives, and my neighbor is not around. And I say, I come here now, I will give you lower price. Don't mind that man, no. That thing he's selling to you, some of them are not good. But my, you know, he start telling stories. It's, that's what they call coveting. A Christian will say, oh, you are looking for Mr. ABC. He's not around. Or oh, I see you here a lot of times. Should I call him that you are around? Why? Blessings are commanded. If you are not the one sent to me, I don't need to harass my soul. So even though I could sell to you, I've seen you so much. I know you guys, ah, why should I want to separate brethren? God hates those who separate brethren. So I will give you a seat in front of my shop and tell you to wait. And I will pick my phone and call my rival neighbor that your customer is here. Then let him decide what he wants to do. I refuse to covet my neighbor's goods. That's called the gates of God. So for that reason, you can understand that you've been on one spot for a long time. <laughs> the Lord has disciplined me severely. It's called patience. So you'll be 13 years running up and down because you are supposed to be a king one day. 
But listen, when you finally enter the throne, you know, I like the way um, Samuel said it. When Israel came and said he needed a king, he dared anybody to come forward and say, the day you give me a bribe. Say before the people, if I ever took anything from somebody unjustly. When Paul was leaving um, Ephesus, Paul said, I have coveted nobody's goods. I have not preached any message because of the offering I will get. I have not prophesied. Like one man said, I not can prophesy. I have never done that. I have never used a prophetic word to take something from somebody. Do you understand? That's a kind of testimony that God wants. Abraham said, I don't want it to be said that you made Abraham rich. So that's what happens when people pass through the gates of God. Now, please, I'm, I'm talking about this gate of God matter, even though that's not the main thing I'm trying to teach, okay? I'm going somewhere. So, Satan, remember for me saying, the devil cannot give what God has not granted already. But when God grants, he now starts watching how we enter. Because after God has given you something, you have to enter into it. God has given you something, does not mean to just dawn on you suddenly. Just be going on the road. God, you know, maybe... Somebody comes to prophesy to you, in the name of Jesus, you will prosper. You'll now be walking on the road, waiting for prosperity to come. You know what I found out with the promises of God? You will die. You won't see it, and God will still be faithful. We won't talk about that now. He said, but God said prosperity is coming. Yes, when I said prosperity is coming, I also said, enter it. I have given you the land. Now begin to contend in battle with the occupants that I said to you, I am driving out. If you stay in the wilderness and not get up and contend, you will never enter. Do you understand that? You will never enter. Now, fighting for it comes with different principles, with different um, spheres of life. For example, in David's case, he was not supposed to fight Saul for the throne. So in the different areas, there are different ways you contend in battle. For the man that the Lord said, okay, I have given you prosperity. I've thought many times on how to wait for God. First, he said, abide in the calling in which you were called. So when David was anointed, you know what he did? The man goes back to the sheepfold. Whatever the man's hands finds to do, he does with all his strength. If you have not been faithful in what belongs to somebody else, who will give you your own? Are you getting my point? If you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will give you true riches? All of these things we put together. And that's how we wait for God. We get up in the morning, we go about our business. God gives us ideas and wisdom and we pursue things in life. We go out be, trying to be a blessing to people. We don't go out ever going to chase money. That is against the precepts of the kingdom. But we go out seeing how we can, we can improve productivity. We can improve the lives of people around we make sure we are accountable. We do all of those things. It will take time. That's the gate of God. I hope you get my point here. Alright, so we have to enter into what God has granted. It's how we enter. I'm not, I've been talking about. How do we enter it? How we enter it? You can use the gates of God or the gates of unrighteousness. That's the point I'm trying to make. Now, many people, now that's where I began from actually. When God has given them something, 
For it, for them to enter into what God has given, that's where the issue now is. So God has given wealth as an example. I was talking about that. So how do I get wealth? I join a cult. The world does that. Sometimes people don't join cult too. They just learn bad habits. They learn to cheat and to scheme. That's another thing people do. At the end of the day, many times, they will still enter into that wealth. But it will not be a blessing to them. The fact that you have something does not mean it will bless you. I hope you're getting my point. One man I quote a lot was Paul Getty's son. Paul Getty himself was the richest man in the world in his own days. Now we talk about Bill Gates. We talk about um, uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. That's the guy who's been reigning now for some time. You know, Mark Zuckerberg and all of that. So the top four, top five people. Now in, in his days, Paul Getty was number one. The top of the food chain. Yet his son said money was a curse to our family. Did you hear what I said? The son of the world's richest man. So what do you think of money? He said, when God wants to curse you, he gives you money. He said, money was a curse to our family. Let me just pray for you. Eh? May the Lord give you contentment before he gives you money. Amen. <laughs> that prayer is crucial. If you have not yet attained contentment, please pray to God. Say, Lord, don't give me plenty of money. Let me enter into contentment first. Because no matter how much people paint money as, uh, what they try to paint it as, how good, the, that thing is a very useless master. It's a very useless master. It's only when it is a servant. And let me tell you something about it. He doesn't like being a servant. It's not as if you just come money. Are you a servant? He said, yes, sir, I'm a servant. No. He likes to be the boss. You wake up in the morning. Money will just say, you don't wake. Say, yes. Go and buy something you don't need. <laughs> say, but I don't need it. I said, go and buy it. And you say, yes, sir. Before you have to go to the mall, go to the market. So one day he invented, the Lord helped us invent Jumia and Conga. And then if I want to read news, Jumia will be there, blinking, blinking, blinking. <laughs> Have you not noticed? <laughs> now, news, news website you open, oh, Jumia, this thing with the scroll past from shoes to bags to perfume to the latest iPhone, Samsung Note, just flip. Pew, pew, pew. The one we pause. Bling, bling, bling. I tell you, 40% off. Now, what am I trying to say? So the young man said, the young man said money was a, was a curse to our family. Many people don't believe that. Yeah, I know. They just say, let's get there first. Anyway, let's not talk on that one now. Otherwise, we'll leave our message. What's the point we are making? What we get out of it depends on how we got into it. The thing in itself is not what determines how you will enjoy it or how it will relate with you. I've said all of this to let you know that you may see people who are not obeying God getting things and you seem to contradict what we are saying, that God gives everything. Because he says he's a God of righteousness. How come I, our righteousness seems to be prosper, prospering with him? That's just the way it works. 
That's just the way it works. I hope you're getting my point. However, we have, we all have been given to him. I mean, he has given to all of us the discipline, that the responsibility, I wanted to say, the responsibility to discipline ourselves to pass through the right gates. That's it. So he has given, as part of that responsibility, that now, back to where we began from. I went to all of this, so that just bring out the point. Okay, now I was saying that somebody like, um, Elvis Presley, he was, uh, he was, um, he was an evangelist, yes, someone like Elvis Presley. So you find out that, they now, so that, that gift he had, that's another thing I should really mention. When God has given you something, what you do with it is now your problem. You know, I said that also. How you enter, you must discipline yourself. Two, after you have entered whichever way you entered, what you do with it, again, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't force you. He instructs you, but he doesn't compel you to do what is right. He will instruct you, but he does not compel. And that's why, please, you know, you know, I hate the gospel of results. You know, this gospel of results, you know, I don't like it. Why I'm saying so is this. Results can be very, very deceptive. If God has given me the anointing to instruct people, what I decide to instruct them is my problem. I don't know whether you get my point. God has done something so that people will listen to me. So that they will pay attention to me. So that when I'm talking, they will be all ears. Now what I decide to talk is not my issue. There are people that after they gain the reputation of being prophets, they start prophesying anything they like. God had to complain at the time. I did not send them, yet they ran. If they were not prophets, it's not a big deal. Nobody's paying attention. If you are just there doing business and one man just comes, wears a suit, you say, what is it? He says, the MD of the company next door. He says, does says the Lord next year. You know you will laugh. So he doesn't do it. Nobody takes him seriously. And God is not angry. God is not angry with such people because he's not a prophet. He doesn't think he's a prophet. Nobody thinks he's a prophet. The ones that he's angry with are those who he first gave the credibility. He put a real word in their mouth. The prophetic anointing is upon them. Then people tune to them to hear thus says the Lord. The man now asks, have we paid our bills? They said no. We have not paid. And this church is here. And on Sunday morning, thus says the Lord, the first five people that will clear their account today, especially when they have accounts in three different currencies, that's to eliminate those one to clear two five. <laughs> the Lord said, before this year is over, you know what? Because he's a credible prophet, people will believe. You know one thing about the Holy Spirit? He will not stop him from saying what he wants to say. He will warn him not to say it, but if he wants to say it, his mouth will come out, the words will come out of his mouth. The persuasive power of the Spirit will go with it. Oh, I'm telling you. It's not as if the Holy Spirit is persuading, helping him. It's just that God had already placed upon him the power to persuade. That persuasive Spirit is like the voice you and I have. But he has it in the realm of the Spirit. When he talks, he persuades people. And then... Let me just say something to you again. I feel like God wants me to be saying it. 
You don't just deliberately disobey God like that and you think you'll go scot-free. That's not grace. There are two kinds of sins. Sin unto death and the sin that's not unto death. What is the sin unto death? The one in which you know what is wrong. Your two eyes are wide open. It's just that we have to pay the bills. So I go out and prophesy when I know he did not say, speak. And I say, thus says the Lord. That is not the kind of sin that just, just passed like that. Say, God, not vex. Don't be angry. Usually you will do it again. If you have that attitude, you will do it again. And eventually, mark my words, you will be destroyed. And many prophets have been destroyed. And yet many more will be destroyed. And please, when I say prophets, I am not talking about... You know the difference between prophets and actors? Please. I hope you are getting my point. So please don't go and say, God say, talking about serious people. People who gave their lives to Christ, who were called to ministry. This is the one that I'm talking about. Not talking about people who learned how to gather the crowd, who did all kinds of shamanism and occultism and manipulation and media bleeds. Are you getting my point? And then you now gathered ignoramuses. God is just looking at you. You know, I don't know why God doesn't know the talk. The banky, now you the vex. You know why the Lord is not talking? He said, no serious people, person has been deceived by him yet. No serious person. Anybody that has been deceived by him is not serious. Because once you sit down and you pay attention for five minutes, you will know the spirit that is coming out and that is not coming out. The one that is an issue right now are the ones that are speaking half with the right spirit Half with the wrong spirit. So good people will go there and listen. Those are the ones that have the problem. So let's, let's know the meaning of false prophets. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. There's a difference between false prophets and genuine jokers. Are you getting what I'm saying? Oh, okay. The Lord is good. <laughs> so I'll just down to explain the fact that I can decide, okay, to use my gift anyhow. I can, God can give me wealth, gives me abundance, and because I have so much of money, I now decide to install, you know, my own candidate as a senator of our senatorial district. God won't say don't. I mean, like, he will say don't to you indirectly, but he will not stop you. He won't issue a check and it will bounce. You won't transfer money and network will go down just because you want to move 250 million naira to APC. No, it will still go. Except that that is not what he sent you to do with your money. I'll be getting my point. Or you can decide that, well, it is time to be chopping life. And be chopping it by carrying small, small girls to follow you. You will die and go to hell, but he will let you. He won't stop you. He will not put a mark on your head like Cain. Just because you are in disobedience. No, people following you will still be, you will still be as handsome as ever. If after a while you start looking like Pastor Bank, <laughs> the Lord is good. No, he won't stop you. Listen to me, children of God. He expects you to deliberately go and learn discipline concerning that which he has given to you. I'm a preacher. You know, I've said this too many times, using my perfect illustration. If I say to everybody, now put up your right hand, you put up your right hand, except you are normally rebellious. You know, some people are just rebellious. 
They do. If everybody open your mouth and pray, they will close their nose, their mouth, and eyes and refuse to pray. There are people like that. There are very few. But normal people, <laughs> if a preacher says, put up your right hand, you will. You will ask, what has that got to do with your message? You're not going to ask. It's power that I have as a preacher. So how I use it, I have to learn how to use it. If you're a preacher, as an example, if people quarrel with you, you know you have an advantage against them. You're the pastor of a church, you're a church member or deacon in church, have, you have quarrel. He, what can he do? You, you have the pulpit. Today I want to preach on rebellion. Somebody say rebellion. <laughs> Some people, that is, you would tear, <laughs> tear the guy or the lady to shreds from your pulpit. And you end it with, touch not my anointed, if he replies on social media. <laughs> if he dares reply anywhere. This is where you settle your own scores. And of course, <laughs> if the governor does what you don't like, oh God. He's doing his own in the government house. Maybe you will get to church on Sunday. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God established government for a reason. When the governor is blocking the road, is that good? <laughs> you know, when I see preachers, God have mercy on all of us. Me, everybody, all of us preachers. But just by the way, I want to educate people. Many of those things we do, all right? You are, we are by that abusing the pulpit. It's an abuse. It's abuse. When you rail against the president, look, I'm not saying you should agree with him. But the pulpit is not for attacking the president. I know he's wrong. I'm not saying he's right. I'm just saying two wrongs don't make a right. You don't sell something on the pulpit. Praise God. Um, hallelujah. You know, this, um, this new um, phones, they're very good. Brought in by one of our brothers. You will do well. As you are investing in his business, you are promoting the kingdom. Because the money he's going to make is an abuse of the pulpit. Don't sell anything there. Once you mount the pulpit, the authority God has given you is for a very narrow range of things. It's for correction, for, for the use of scripture. All scripture is inspired and profitable for teaching. Are you getting my point? For doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's what we do from the pulpit. When we come there and say, thus says the Lord. That is, you know, one of the things I tell you know, church pastors is that there's nothing wrong. If you have a congregation of like 500,000 people, there is nothing wrong with two of your members being in opposing parties running for the same office. It should be possible. One can be a member of APP. Let's not even mention these big, big parties. Give me one of those small, small parties. YPP, ADP, SDP, XYZ. <laughs> they can be in two parties. And they'll sit down on Sunday. Say, oh boy, I will finish you. And they will laugh. And they're joking. They hug themselves. and say, see you at the polls. See you at the polls, man. And then they go. And you, pastor, you mount the pulpit. 
And nobody can guess who you are voting for. Every day you teach them righteousness. How to make decisions. What your vote says about your values. And then let each man go and vote for YPP or COA if he or she so likes. Everything that you have entered into with God, you deliberately learn the rules concerning those things. There was one that the Lord told, taught me. I don't know how he did, but I learned it even at home. Even at home. I learned early. If my wife and I have a disagreement, I never quote a scripture to support my, my side. Never. I teach her a lot, but it has to be when heads are cool. Those early days. You know why? In fact, one day I told my wife something. When I'm arguing with my friends, you understand, those brethren were arguing. About things. You know, some things don't happen much anymore. You know, as you are growing older, you say, what are you arguing about? Everybody has made up their mind. <laughs> no, really. You just, argument now just for the sake of exercising your jaw. So, but you don't, you don't go jog. No, I don't argue. You know? <laughs> because everybody's made up his mind, you know? <laughs> they made up their minds what they are going to. You know, but those days, I remember once, I, I give, I mean, brethren, I was arguing on things that there are scriptures to support, you know, to argue. I refused to quote one. My wife said, why? I said, these are my brethren. They know me. I said, amongst them, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a recognized teacher of the word. I said, once I open my mouth and start dropping scriptures, I said, the argument is no longer fair. I'm beginning to oppress people with my anointing. I said, it's not right. Let's argue it out man to man. We won't use anointing. I don't, I won't agree. Look at it that day. A passenger went there. What about Tiku? What did he go? We can't shout that one. But once I said, no, in Matthew chapter 5, you know, the atmosphere will drop instantly. And those observing, automatically, they've gone to my side. They listened to me yesterday on radio, internet. They came for Bible study. How dare them disagree with me? It's hard. An average Christian can't. That is why sometimes you see pastors, a young Christian supporting their pastors in what is obviously wrong. And you'll be wondering that did you suspend your brain because you go to that church? You don't blame him. You don't blame her. The same person has prophesied, does is the Lord, and the Lord said does, and it happened. This is a man who laid hands on him when he was sick and doctor said he was going to die three years ago. And he's well today. Laid the foundation starting redemption as in Christ. You think it's easy to disagree? It's hard though. You need to get to a particular point in maturity to be able to say, oh boy, you're on your own. Lay no offense, we praise God. Instruction in righteousness, we praise God. But this one, bros, I no agree. But now you are doing that, you have a personal conviction of scripture yourself. I'm talking about learning what not to do. So those are at times I say, no. I'm also remember we just shout, shout, shout. When we finish shout, I said, because when it comes to instructing in righteousness, I know I have an anointing. There are personal disciplines. Which we, you deliberately learn it. You deliberately learn that. Listen, I've entered into something with God. He has granted me something. Remember what I said? One, how you enter, you make up your mind. God has given you the throne. God has said to you, you are the next king. He's given you the throne. 
You can go the way of righteousness. You can go the way of the world. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many people are working on it. It's really the simplest, the quickest. And all of us know principle of science is broad, resistance is low. The narrow one, literally, when the King James says straight, it means that you squeeze through. That one takes longer. Satan came to Jesus. Exactly what God had already determined to give the son. Why do the hiddens rage? People imagine a vain thing. Now, God has anointed his king. Everybody knew that. But how will he enter? Satan now came and said, I've worked hard before you came. I've taken over all these kingdoms. Bow to me. So you bow to Satan, he hands you the kingdom. But Jesus did not. The Lord refused. It's written that thou shalt worship the Lord your God only. Only the Lord your God you will serve. At the end, we know, we know what happened. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And this time around, he shall reign forever and ever. If he had bowed, he would have reigned until Satan himself is about to be destroyed. And he would have been destroyed with the devil. But now he shall reign forever and ever. That's how it works. Two different gates. But having entered inside, what we do with it is now what? Our choice also. This is how God has done us. Let's just bear it in mind. We have responsibilities. Christianity is not a joke. That's why the word he uses to describe us is the word disciples. What are disciples? Constant students. Constant learners. People who are always taking his yoke by learning of him. It's not a joke. Every day. For example, you are going into marriage, you are a man. There are, there, there are privileges, quite all right. But there are rules. There are constraints. There are boundaries. Same thing as a woman. There are rules. There are constraints. There are boundaries. There are things you don't do. Even though they are doable. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yeah, nobody's going to stop you, but you have to teach yourself not to do it. And you know, <laughs> there's one lecturer in the uh, university of, all of you know the story. That professor. I won't mention his name because I don't know his name. You know, people can be getting away with bad things for a long time. It's called the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. When the iniquity became full, the embarrassment was, was serious. And that day I was reading the papers that the man finally decided to plead guilty to all charges so that the sentence can be small. So the judge said, thank you for pleading guilty. I'm still sending you to prison. The judge, the law, defense lawyer said, Alga, he has suffered enough. He has lost his job. He said, that one is the university's problem, not my problem. My problem is I want to use him as an example. The man did not learn the rules, the boundaries. What am I saying? He did what he was doing. God didn't stop him. God was doing like this. But to physically stop him, no, I'm not going to restrain you. Go on. Have fun. Your disgrace is going to be public. I felt bad for him. I felt very bad. That's the kind of thing that makes people's wives go abroad. Yes, now. A wife will divorce you and go abroad. And, <laughs> and Jesus won't be angry with her. And she will quote scripture to support it. Except for the case of what? That I'm going. (laughs) 
What am I saying? We all have, we must all deliberately learn the rules, the boundaries of everything. You know, first time I heard that that, that word boundary used. The person teaching explained it from the life of Joseph. So when Mrs. Potiphar came to Joseph with her proposal, you know the story. That Joseph said to Mrs. Potiphar, that you see, hmm, in this house, everything is under my power. The food, the cars, the private jet, the house, anywhere, I go anywhere in this house. He said, except for you, that you are the boundary that has been drawn. I can't cross that one. It's in the scripture like that. Joseph said to him, everything has been given to my hand apart from you. That there's a boundary. I can't, you're asking me to cross a God-ordained and Potiphar-sanctioned boundary. No. He said, if I cross it, I sin against God. He got into trouble for not crossing it. But at least with God, he was justified. Listen, that's the first time I heard the expression boundary. Everything you are doing in life, ask yourself, what are the boundaries? No matter how free you are in something, even if there is no law over you, no physical law, just watch the boundaries. Very, very important. If they give you power, you know, I mean, you are a law to yourself. Forget it. There is a boundary. There are boundaries that God has already ordained. You must learn those boundaries. What I'm trying to emphasize with all of this is that it's a deliberate thing. It's a decision we make. We go out. Nobody's coming to come and tell you. You personally, you pray and study and ask questions because everything has boundaries and when you cross the boundary, if you use it wrongly, then you will suffer the consequences. My emphasis, God will not stop you. You have to do that deliberately by yourself. Now, we began this from a particular point. I wanted to all, all of this and to say that that's why a man like Elvis Presley, the way it was taught, I heard the story. So it could, it's true, spiritual principles support that assertion that he was called and anointed by God to be an evangelist. The same way Paul was called to be an apostle before he was born when he did not know Jesus Christ. And the fact that God called and ordained something does not mean we will do it. We have to deliberately accept to do it. That man's case, the eldest man's case, he never did it. And the person who was telling the story said that he has authentic information that, of course, you know he died as a young man in his 30s, right? Uh-huh. And they say he died from overdose of drug or whatever it is, but that he explained that what really happened was that having led such a riotous life, a point came in which he broke down and repented. This is not in the news. Nobody knows about that. And he prayed to the Lord to accept him back and all of that. And then when he did that, God saw a nice little opportunity to take him away. So he died. So the rest of the world don't understand that part of the story. The Lord just said, foolish boy, come. So they went the next day. He was dead. But what happened the last 24, 40 hours of his life, they don't understand. I hope you're getting my point. Because one of the things I want to talk about is what the Bible calls unprofitable servant. That's what happens to unprofitable servants. We give you a gift, you use it wrongly. We say preach, use it to lead people to Christ. You use it to lead them to gyration. The more you spoke, the more iniquity abounded in the environment. 
Why? Because you misused. You know, read the scriptures. God said, you took my gold. Are you getting my point? God, after he decked people with gold, he was angry with them. Why? He said, you took my gold and put on your idols. So it's possible for God to give you, a, give you gold and you put it somewhere else. God can give you a gift, use it to save the, save the enemy. Very possible. What we think a lot of times is that once you're not using it for the purpose of God, the gift will just shut down. It doesn't shut down. I mean, armed guards have been known to kill the people they are supposed to defend. The gun didn't refuse to fire just because they are aiming the wrong direction. That's how spiritual things are too. God can give you something and you use it wrongly. And that was what God was angry with in Israel. So after I decked, I put my gold around your neck. I put my bangles around your east. I gave you fine flour. I gave you oil and everything. So what did you do? You took my gold, took my bangles, took my oil, took my fine flour, and then went to serve other gods with it. Every time God gives you something, you have to ask him, what am I supposed to do with this? Look at this voice, this talk that we have. Those of us who are preachers. Do you know? <laughs> it's very, very easy to monetize it. Very easy. Yes, there was one man of God was in my house. You know, he came to visit us. We were together at very late. Past 11, actually. We were just, in, we were just talking about things. So he was, he was telling me something. I said, what? They were not new. Just that you are hearing them again. So we're not, I would not say, how come it is we preachers that can't charge? Now, it's easy for us to go ahead and monetize this. And God won't stop you, but he will judge you. He won't stop you, he will judge you. Because preachers have been very badly tre- treated. Sometimes they start charging money. Sometimes, and when you start charging money, he who pays the piper starts dictating the tune. That's what happens. That's what happens. And it starts, it crosses into your messages bit by bit. Somebody gives you a lot of money to come to preach and then he tells you raise the money from the congregation. You kind of have a moral obligation. So sometimes people don't even do that. We don't go into charging for our preaching. Now that's where I'm going. You now take the voice and use for something else. There are people that have given pastors things to sell. And pastors don't understand that, you see, when you are, when you are coming out to speak, you know, people are listening to you with the prophetic unction, with the ministerial unction. They don't realize that you have been paid. Alright? Or you get a cut out of these things. It's a misuse of the pulpit. Sometimes we abandon preaching the core word of God and start motivating people. And I use this. That's what God said. You took my gold. It's the gold of God. You took it, and then you're now using to dress other, other gods, idols. When you get up and say, what you need, get up in the morning, go get it. There is something inside you. There is a force from beyond. You know, you start saying things. And I say, no, this, mess, this place where you have come now, there are Muslims there, and there are, are atheists too. There are people sent to talk to Muslims and atheists. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I have not been sent. Where I cannot mention the name of Jesus and quote from Genesis, Exodus, all the way down to Jude, Revelation, I don't belong. I can talk to you man to man, but I will not stand to instruct people so as to confuse them as to what's talking. Because when they hear Pastor Banky, that's what they expect. They open their hearts. They are vulnerable. You are judged for the rubbish you pack inside there. 
Yeah, you are judged for it. James said, not all of us should agree to be teachers. So because there's double judgment. They are judged stricter. Because people open, they, when they come to church, when they see you, they open their hearts. They open their hearts. Anything you say, they do. I told you once I was already nice. I was just talking. You know, just trying to be humble. That is not everything that I say. Is it on radio? One day I was preaching here. I can't remember, I'm not even sure. But one young man heard it here that I said it's not everything that I said that is correct. Oh. The guy panicked. The ha! How can you be wrong in anything? I have done everything you ever said. Even me, I panicked. <laughs> Honestly, when I see people misunderstand me and act on misunderstanding, sometimes I get concerned. When they tell me what they did, I say, ah, but I didn't say that. Then they tell me what I said. Ah, no, you heard it wrongly. And I have to clarify. And this one, I was telling the truth, yet they misunderstood and acted on misunderstanding. How much more when I get up and start saying that which I know is not the word of God. They didn't come to me to learn business. They may have learned business while listening to me, but they came to learn the word. So if they learned business, they assume this is the word of God concerning business. So it's so wrong of me to buy Anthony Robbins, memorize, and quote for them. It's evil. I get punished for it. Seriously. I get punished for it. Each one of us will have a responsibility. When we have entered into stuff to make sure we use it according to the rules of God. Now, I'm about to say what will make you laugh at me. This is not the message for today. Yeah, I was waiting for that laughter. I was just trying to explain something. And that's taking the whole time. We just finished, so even though I'm getting to the message. So that, let's get back to what I was... I, I went to all of this, just trying to explain some principles. So let's now get back to where we began from. That, that's Isaiah chapter 6. Now, we've explained it. All of us were born for a reason. That's where I began that from. We know that already. What God said to Jeremiah is true of every Christian. Before we were born, he had already ordained us for something. Before we were formed our mother's wombs, he had consecrated us for something. I went into all of that just trying to explain that we have the choice to refuse and how we may operate even when we have entered into those things. And along the line, I kept on repeating we deliberately make up our minds. Now, what I want to, wanted to explain, which time has run out of us on now, okay, is that even though God has created us for something, He still expects us to deliberately volunteer for those things. Do, do you hear what I said? Isaiah was ordained a prophet, yet he heard God speak as if He didn't ordain him a prophet. Yet God speak as if there are no prophets around. So he said, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Why didn't he just call Isaiah and say, I have called you? No. He allowed Isaiah to hear it. And for Isaiah to deliberately volunteer to do something about it. And God does that to us a lot of times. Jesus was walking on the water. And he was going to walk past the disciples as if he didn't see them. They had to call his attention. Our lives also like that. God expects us to deliberately say to him, the reason you gave me life, I want to follow it. He wants to hear it from us deliberately. What I wanted to bring out to us again today, which I'm beginning to explain now, 
is that many, not many, everything that God wants to do on this earth, he requires us. He does. And when people are making decisions, the Bible says that where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. The people are unrestrained. They make decisions not realizing that God has a purpose for their lives. Sometimes people are making decisions, for example, you know, emigration and stuff like that. You hear, you know, when you hear them talk, they don't talk as if there is a reason for my life. You know, one of the things I learned last year, you know, every year I learned a new lesson. I, my wife reminded me of it in December when we were talking. I always, because the day I had learned it, I shared it with her. I said, I, noticed, I was praying one day, and while meditating, I noticed something. Of course, I pulled many things together. I've read Kenneth Higgins a lot, and Kenneth Higgins had explained that once he was in a, he had a vision, he was a prophet, so he used to get visions, dramatic ones, visitation of the Lord. The Lord would walk to him, they would talk. And the Lord asked him once, what are you planning to do about what I told you concerning the anointing, the healing anointing that I placed in your hands 10 years ago? Now, how long ago? He said, I wasn't planning to do anything about it. And the Lord said to him, you will have to or else. He said, okay, I believe I will. He said, there was a time you told the Lord, I think, I don't, I don't know what is the same episode. And he said, Lord, I was waiting on you. He said, no. The Lord said, well, you were not waiting on me. I was waiting on you. I put many of those things together. All right? And I told my wife, I said, I think I know what my problem was. You know what is right to do. And many of us Christians are like that. But we are waiting for a spirit of urgency. And that spirit of urgency does not come until it has become urgent. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is already becoming late. You are running out of time. By the time you are seeing this pressure, I have to do this, I have to do this, is because you did not do it on time. So I reasoned. I said, no. Anything that makes sense, because each season of life, at least that's how it is with me, and I believe with many people, everything that makes sense in that season, I just do it. If the Lord doesn't like it, let him stop it. When I started going to Abakaliki to go and teach every Friday, there was nothing like, we were praying. And I saw as we were in a vision, three men from Abakaliki, with three women, with six children, and they said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Nothing like that. We were just thinking when they were going to Oka, I said, why don't you even go to Abakaliki to go and be teaching self? That would be nice though. Let's just do it for two years. And then one day, we just got up and went there. And then we tried to get a perfect venue. We kept on trying, trying. Then one day I just told the guys, I said, hey, no matter how bad the venue is, we are starting next week. I said, because the Bible says, he that watches the wind will not sow. He that observes the clouds will not reap. New Living, living Translation says, anyone waiting for conditions to be perfect will get nothing done. I said, let's start. Now, Please follow me. I realize that sometimes when we say that, that the Spirit began, look, a lot of times, I'm not saying all the times, a lot of times, is that we have been negligent. I didn't know that a man could have the healing anointing and for 10 years do nothing about it. And sometimes I wonder, I say, Lord, what are you doing, sir? Why didn't you say anything for 10 years? Then I, I'm, now I'm understanding that. God said, no, I'm not supposed to say anything. 
you are adults. Now, that's not a joke. I expect that you are adults. And if I tell you to do something, don't wait till I bring a cane before you start doing it. I hope you get what I'm going to say here. There's a sense of responsibility that God expects all of us, his children, to have. He expects all of us, his children, to have a sense of responsibility. Everything he wants to do on this earth, eh? it requires people. When we are making decisions, are you getting my point? We must always bear that in mind. That we have not been sent to this earth to come and enjoy. We are soldiers for Christ. We are. And just by the way, you are not even parents now. Don't even think. No, let me not say it like that. Please stop this nonsense of thinking that your assignment as a parent is to make sure your children are safe. No. Part of your assignment as a parent is to train them to be soldiers for Christ. When everybody says that ah, my child cannot serve in Zamfarao, call your children aside and say, you will go to Zamfarao. Daddy, are you serious? I don't want to be serious, but I have to be serious. Let us pray to see how to survive in Zamfara. Not know. Bokara will not kill my child. There are, there are kinds of... Talk, you know, have you seen the way Muslims talk to the, the, the fundamentalists? They train the children that to die for jihad is glory. But when Christians want to train the children... Go to Canada. It's cold. It's safe. And if in Nigeria we worship worshiping. We worship. We worship. God say, why won't Islam take you over? It will be injustice on my part if I don't let them. They are more dedicated to take over. They are drilling their own children on that if you die in the course of this struggle, you have died well. But we think our duty is to sow seeds so our children will not die. <laughs> Let me just drop this for you. The only difference between Christians and Muslims that Islamic fundamentalists in the matter of dying is that we don't kill people. But that we are ready to die, Jesus said, add it to it. It's part of it. The only difference is that we don't kill people in that process. We don't strap a bomb to ourselves and die for nothing. For us, it is not glorious to take somebody else's life. We go out to save lives. But we don't shy away from suffering and from death because we are soldiers of Christ. Everything that God wants to do on this earth requires people. Even though he has created his people for what he wants to do, he still demands or he requires that they individually will volunteer and say, God, I recognize that he did not send me to life to come and enjoy. That money and safety and comfort will never determine what I do with my life. That's what I was beginning from. When Isaiah said, here am I, send me. God created him for that purpose, but God still left him to volunteer for it. And let me say this to us again. God is in dire need of people. Did you hear what I said? Is in what? Damn it. People are hard to come by. They are scarce. There are many people that go to church, but Paul gave a verdict. Not all of them have faith. 
Many of them say they are false brethren. <laughs> I think I can say this. In this generation, they are not just false brethren, they are false brethren, right? <laughs> Paul is talking about false brethren. We don't have many false brethren these days. We have clown brethren. Joking brethren. People who think coming to church is a joke. In the days of Paul, going to church was not a joke. But many people when came in, they were hypocrites. They never left Judaism or whatever they were doing. They just wanted to get into what's going on here. So they were false. But our own, that's not necessary. It's not dangerous to come to church. You don't risk too many things. So a lot of people come to church. What we have is what? Unserious brethren. Clowning brethren. Joking brethren. Brethren that just they say, Sunday, let's go. But we never compromise their personal comfort and security for the sake of Christ. They will never do it. That is why I'm saying to you, God is in need of people. What, I'm, what I give as a testimony here, I'm saying it humbly. I'm not saying... <laughs> in fact, let me just be honest with you. I have thought about it. I just told myself that, Banky, I don't think you are very serious. Are you getting my point? What I mean by very serious is that I feel like if I was more serious about some things, the work of God in my hands will have advanced some more. So I'm trying my best to be more serious. Are you getting my point? So if you see me releasing a new book every month this year, it's part of my... You know, my seriousness. Are you getting my point? Huh? So I'm not trying to say, ah, you know, now we do ministry. I don't really think so. I think that we should do some more, and there are things that we have not done. And because we have not done them, okay? But that's the reason why this year, okay, I've not announced it. Many of, I think what I said already, workers meeting, that I want to start a minister's forum. Did I mention that day? I didn't. I did not. How did I forget? That one, just for preachers alone. Only preachers, just preachers. They just come and tell ourselves the truth. And we meet every other month. First Monday of every other month. I'm very serious about it because I just said it's one part of my be serious. And anyway, let me not get into why I, I decided on that. But I just know that a lot of, I, there was a time I was meeting a lot of young ministers. And they kept on coming to me for this. And I said, Banky, what's your problem? Gather these people now and talk to them. Let's encourage one another. Are you getting my point? Help. I've learned some things over the years, okay? Let's share. Now, so I'm not trying to say, why I'm saying all of this is that, so bear it in mind that I'm not even feeling as if I have done plenty. However, in that little that we have done, I have seen testimonies. I tweeted one guy's, um, I retweeted his tweet, quoted the tweet today, that, you know, I sent out a link on Twitter that those who missed any of our seminars last year, they can find it on our website. We just launched into a particular folder. All 2018 seminars. There was one from late 2017 that I included in there, but I just like 2018 for everything. So one guy said he had gone there and he, had, he was done with like nine of the messages. He said, I'm not done yet. He said, but I've gotten answers to a lot of things going on in my life. I think he said about five of them. He said, all the answers have not been nice. He said, but they have all brought me peace. I don't know whether you get the point. He said, it's not as if I enjoyed hearing some of them, but some of them were very painful. He said, they were very painful. He said, but at least I have discovered the mind of God and peace has been restored into my life. So he wrote it on Twitter. So I retweeted that one. Okay? Now, this is where I'm going. There are times I sit down and I, you know, there are things that just cross your mind. You, you, just, you just shiver small. You just get small goose pimples. My wife and I used to say, I said, do you realize, I told my wife, do you realize we too could have gone to look for greener pastures? 
I said, we too would have gone to look. I said, do you know we could have? And there are men more anointed than, than bankies who did. And you never heard anything from them. They've not blessed you. They've not blessed me. I'm starving because I can't find them. Let me tell you something. You can't live your life looking for comfort. Each time you do, God, another, you know, there are times I look at people, I feel bad. Not because, any, you know, I mean, you, you have your life to live, I have my life to live. But I think of God, our Father, and I feel bad for him. I think of Jesus Christ that he loses workmen every day. And Satan has not changed his methods. He's always food, comfort. That's, he hasn't changed it. You will not surely die. It hasn't, he hasn't, he has not changed it. And let me tell you something, we're not talking about preachers alone, no. It's just that because we, we preachers are the ones preaching, so we end up using preachers as examples the more, you understand, more than the other. But otherwise, it's the same thing in every area. I keep on saying it, and I'm not joking about it. Many people that will have stopped medical tourism, that will have ensured Nigerians don't have to go abroad, which means West Africans can come to Nigeria. I hope you know that this is where they come for their serious problems. The other day, Aisha Sase, you know, tweeted to praise Nigerian doctors and nurses that saved the life of his mother. Because she was in America, they told her that her mother was sick in uh, Sierra Leone. Was it Sierra Leone or Liberia? Sierra Leone. She called them that take her to Nigeria. So he rushed the mother to Nigeria. She was in intensive care. And she recovered perfectly. So the woman tweeted, you know, thumbs up for the doctors in Lagos who took care. He said, doctors and nurses in that place that took care of her mother. They do that. That's why that man that had Ebola, that's why he was running down. He felt that if I will be saved, I have to go to Nigeria. Of course, we're all angry with him and all of that because of what was going on. But to him, you know the way we rush our people abroad, he was rushing himself to Nigeria too. What am I saying? God has anointed people. And he said, your own job is stop medical tourism. And look, I just feel so strongly about this. In Nigeria, we can't wait for government. Nigerians, we can't. The prayer we keep on praying is government, let us do stuff. Don't stop disturbing. Yeah. When they stop disturbing with uh, phones, see what we did ourselves. And they see that how universities are, they don't they strike. Have you ever heard of striking private university? Covenant knows when the children they are admitted last year will graduate. The date of graduation has been set. So that's what I believe. In a country like this, but there are, God, you can pray. But like somebody said, I read something my wife forwarded. I think you guys were sharing it on Kingdom World Group. She forwarded it and I read it. That a man went to hospital to pray for somebody and said, I know you have been praying. I did not come to pray. I am the answer to prayer. And he quoted the scripture to support it. That Cornelius was praying. When Peter came, did he come to pray? What was Peter? Peter was the answer to the prayer that Cornelius prayed. What am I saying? Many of us, all of us, actually, we are answers in one area or the other. Each person. Not only in preaching area. I give myself as an example because when I read a lot of those testimonies we get, a lot, when I read a lot of them, occasionally I just say, ha, my wife and I discussed it one day. I say, baby, what if we two had gone to look for greener pastures? 
You think I hate green pastures? If, if you want to know whether I like green pastures or not, just go, just go and buy me 2018 model Land Cruiser. See whether I will drive it. <laughs> no, test me, test me, test me. It's a test, Abby. No, I'm not saying you should, you know, just test me, just say, Pastor, let me see whether I can use this in for five years. <laughs> then you know. If I enter it and cry, <laughs> then you know I hate green pastures. <laughs> but if I turn around and place a hand upon you, <laughs> and I say, The Lord bless you in the morning, bless you in the evening, bless you at noonday, and bless you at midnight. Then no, I like green pastures too. <laughs> the Lord is good. What I said to my wife, who also have gone to do for green pastures, I said, thank God we didn't. Let me leave it there. And I want to say to everybody, please, God is looking for who to use in this 2019. There's work to do. One man once, I said, oh God, you don't really record your messages. He said, I don't need to record my messages. I said, why not? He said, but you have recorded everything. I said, sir, no, no, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not like, he said, no, there's no need, there's no need. Everything you have preached, we have it. So I just preached my own on Sunday that I tended to go and listen to the one you just recorded. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. No. I said, no, sir. It's not, do- you have to be recording your messages. People have to listen to you. I just dropped that, but I told him, sir, no, it's not like, there are many things I don't know. Somebody else has to preach. I can't go everywhere. I'm enjoying what we're doing at Bakliki. When, when I'm preaching at Bakliki, in fact, you get a Bakliki message, it's hotter than in Nuguzu. Smoke. Very, very nice. I enjoy, I enjoy them. But you know what? As much as we are doing that at Bakliki, you know, I, I, I can't at the same time go to Ecom. Is it Ecom that down the road? Eh? Ogoja. Yes, I can't do that. At the same time, you know, do it weekly. If I try that, you bury me like next year. It's not doable. Even if I want to be buried, it's not doable. But do you know it has to be done? Do you know it has to be done? Go and check it. Jesus used to send people two by two. Everywhere he wants to come, he sends two people ahead. He didn't used to go to places that he didn't send people ahead. What am I saying? There are many places he wants to come to. He's looking for who to send ahead. When he said the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. That was what he was referring to. He had, he had a map of Israel. Where he wanted them to go to. After checking everything, he only found a certain number. 70 of them. So they went to 35 places times the number of places they could go to. And he now said, the harvest truly is plenteous. He said, the laborers are few. He now said, pray the Lord of the harvest. That he will send laborers into the harvest. So I've been praying that prayer for a few years. And I want to say today, the people that are the prayer, that are the answers to that prayer, God says it's time for them to arise and begin to do what they are supposed to do. And it begins simply with a mindset that says, enough of looking for prosperity, enough of looking for what will I eat tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry. When I sent you out without pause or script, when I told you don't greet any man on the way, did you lack anything? They said nothing. And I'm saying that same anointing is present in this generation. If you follow the Lord, you won't lack anything. But you know, as I had to say, I had to say here I am. Send me. Can we bow our heads and begin to pray that prayer? It's not only send me into ministry. Everything in life is a mission from God. There is a mission in every aspect of life. 
There is a mission. Even broadcasting the word somebody else has preached is a mission. Creating different avenues, training people, young people, children, raising the next generation of people who we serve, people who will be militant for Christ in our Christian way, not in the destructive way. They have to be raised, and people will raise them. He said, here I am, send me. It's a prayer we need to pray, and I want us to pray this evening. Can we rise to our feet while we pray that prayer? Let's rise to our feet. Let's rise to our feet. God needs people. The called, the chosen, and the faithful. Say to the Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Begin to pray. Commit your life to him. Say, Lord, here I am, send me. That henceforth I am not pursuing what we shall eat, what I shall drink, and with what shall I clothe myself. I am not pursuing security for my future. I am just saying to you, here I am, send me. Everywhere I go, I go with a mindset of, an, of being an assignment. Everywhere I will go, say, Lord, from today, I go with a mindset of being on assignment. My prayer points henceforth, Lord, will be focused on assignments. What I'm supposed to do for you. Not what I will eat. Not what I will drink. Not what I will clothe myself with. Not the car I will drive. No. It's the assignment of God. I am praying, Lord, again today, anoint me afresh. Touch my tongue. Qualify me for the assignment. Prepare me so that I can work for you. So I can advance the kingdom the way you want it done. Here I am, send me. That's the prayer for today. Say, Lord, here I am, send me. That's the prayer for today. Here I am, Lord, I yield myself. Here I am, send me. Father, we give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed.